Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition. I'm your host, as usual, Michael Flores. If you're new to our show, we cover a wide variety of... If you're new to our show... Did I say your show? (laughs) I was about to say, wow. You know, we barely started, and I should not be messing up already. If you are new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from... The Holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes Podcast, and we'd love for you to give us a five star rating and drop a review. It helps our show grow and get seen by more people. All right. So, in the studio today with me is Anson David Sabal. Hello, David. Hello, everybody. How are you today? Doing good. I am now David of one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also a virgin as well because I don't <laughs> want to be a king. <laughs> what type of reasoning is that? I mean, come on. How is Billups not I was, wanting I was, to be a king, number I was, one? I was thinking that basically, no, you're going to be wanting to be that king. Oh, I, would, I would have been a king when I was 12. <laughs> the, the moment I moved into puberty, I, I would have been like, I'm the king. Come <laughs> the here, king. ladies. <laughs> like, dude, no, I was like cracking I Because when they were doing this, the bits with the royal guards... I was like, going, I think Mike would want his own royal guards like this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this where they, they're, they're looking to pounce on poor Billups oh, yeah. at any moment. Especially the lady. I was like, damn, that's a sexy Star Trek broad. Please. I want to be royalty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to be talking about episode seven of season two, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. Uh, yes, this was, if people cannot tell, this was yet another fun episode, at least for us, of Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, story A dealt with a sentient artificial life, while Story B was built around the Lower Decks chief engineer, Billups. And typically, I can point to a favorite story line. Was it Story A? Was it Story B? And you know what? In this week's discussion i don't think i can pick which one i like better because both of them were equally funny both of them were equally star trek in their own way even the billups you know scenario where i'm a virgin and we're gonna get to that (laughs) a little bit later yeah this is probably the the first episode i remember where story b could could absolutely overtake story a the, the only thing, in fact, isn't there an argument to be made that maybe story A was actually Billups? Story, Billups, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I was like thinking about because I'm like, going, well, most of the most most of the action on the ship w- dealt with story B, so technically Billups' story, yeah, that's fair, is the main <laughs> main storyline. It definitely felt like that. I would give I give you that for sure. Um, we also had a great, big, fantastic guest appearance from the great. Jeffrey Combs. God, he's in everything. Every single Star Trek series, you realize Jeffrey Combs has made an appearance yeah. at least one way or another. 
And it's gotten to a point where Star Trek fans now feel like, what is your favorite version or character that Jeffrey Combs has played? All right. So Jeffrey Combs played in this episode, he played Agamus, Agamus. which is, uh, which was the sentient AI, the super evil computer. Now, Jeffrey Combs is beloved amongst the Star Trek fans. He is a Star Trek favorite. Uh, his range is remarkable. When you take a look at his body of work, and listen, he has a large body of work, but let's just focus on Star Trek. Because just, just, just on Star Trek. Just on Star Trek alone is a masterclass for acting. Yes. If you watch all of his different roles, there are certain roles, sure, you can shrug and say, oh, it's makeup that's hiding him. But it's the way he plays those roles completely different. Every role he plays, you can't point to similarities. They're all very different. His range is insane. Uh, he's not a household name, unfortunately, except for Uber Trek fans. An Uber cult, uh, cult fan uh, know Jeffrey Combs' name because he's been in so many like pop culture cult films that I'm sorry. It's really difficult for me just as a cinephile to actually decide what is my favorite Jeffrey Combs role? Come on, Star know? Trek. Let's be real. Star Trek's there, but dude, I'm sorry. Reanimator. Yeah. <laughs> Reanimator was, was amazing. Hmm. He was amazing in Reanimator. Well, if people aren't aware why people, let's say, let's say new Star Trek fans out there might not be all hip or up on Jeffrey Combs. Like, why is everyone freaking out about Jeffrey Combs? Well, he played Commander Shran from Enterprise, Enterprise. which I will say right now, that is Probably my favorite role he played throughout those four years on Enterprise. So good. And what he represented and the relationship he built with Archer throughout those four years. And to see how the Andorians became one of the charting members, the first charting members, uh, or the first members of United Federation of Planets Charter. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. It's such an awesome experience to see that. And then he played, of course, one of the greatest villains of all time, Wei Yun, in Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. A sociopathic, radicalized murderer, right? Yeah, he was. A, he, he basically is the one who. He was. The, he was the. The. The face of the dominion yeah that's what i was yeah. that's what i was trying to figure out if you were to put basically make a hierarchy of the dominion in in deep space nine yeah way is up there I, I don't know if i could say he's the leader well, but he's up there oh he's definitely him and the other i forgot the name of their species now that was created by the changelings by the founders i mean obviously the changelings the changelings were the the dominion and the bad guys but they were always, you know, in their little liquid pond. They needed their their Jim Hadar soldiers, and then of course Wei Yun and and the species that Wei Yun is. I forgot his species now. I feel like a, a fake fan. Can you remind me, David? Wei Yun's uh, species. I'm trying to remember what it was. I'm gonna look it up because yeah. I feel very foolish right now. But while you while you look that up. Do you realize too? He wasn't. He didn't just play Wei Yun on. Oh, I know. On Deep Space Nine, he played other roles in Deep Space Nine. He was that like, guy like, that went after Quark all the time. Yes, he was the I, lieutenant. Um, 
FCA or whatever it was. Yeah. He he was Lieutenant. It's his last name starts with an M. Yeah. But, uh, is the name of way you species. Yeah. And, but not only that, he also lent his, his, uh, his acting credit credentials to other like bit alien species. And it was like, for just little one-offs, more little one-offs because to Jeffrey Combs, he always was looking for a role that was different. I mean, like uh, one of the things I read about uh, an interview for him prior to this uh, episode, mm-hmm. the thing that attracted him to Lower Decks was the fact that it was such so different than any Star Trek series he's ever seen. Because Star, he he said in the interview, Star Trek tends to be really serious. Here, he was able to do something different, like what he did in Deep Space Nine, where. While it was all serious, he could go for different alien species and different characters because of prosthetic makeup. Yeah. And that just shows, like, what you alluded to earlier, the range of Jeffrey Combs of how, like, how much of a talent he was for Star Trek. Oh, I loved the Harangi character you played. Brunt. It is Brunt, the, the FCA. Brunt, yeah. yeah. Brunt, FCA. Like, his entire storyline was just the fuck with Quark. <laughs> Quark. Yeah, it's so good. So that's why we love Jeffrey Combs because he played some iconic roles in Star Trek. And the reason why I say to travesty that he's not a household name because he's so good. You know, he is such a good actor and amongst Star Trek fans, he's a household name. He's a household name. But you know, the, the, the layman or the, the newer Star Trek fan may not understand why he's so beloved. And that's why. So, in this episode, Combs plays a manipulative, super intelligent computer that's it was so awesome. captured by Starfleet. And Boimler and Mariner are tasked with taking it to the Daystrom Institute. Along the way, they get into an accident where the two are left stranded with Agamus, where it attempts to pit the two of them against each other, Mariner and Boimler, in hopes to create an escape for himself. Now, I like what this season has done. And this episode made me reflect a bit on what they have done with Boimler. Yes. Because they've done a lot of work with him this season. They fleshed out his characterization quite a bit and have given us a substantial amount of character development. So we understand what makes him tick. We understand what he's, he's about. And then they fleshed out the development side. They pushed his story forward. Yeah. And though his time on the Titan was short, the writers, it was pretty smart to put him there um, at the end of last season because the writers have used that as a way to justify his growth. His yes. confidence and his ability to act under pressure is all because of the Titans. If you look and do a side-by-side, Boimler from last season and Boimler from this season, he has way more confidence in his abilities. Mm-hmm. And that's because of his promotion to the Titan. And it's a great... What what Boimler is going through in this season is a great parallel to to uh, the characterization of Mariner, because Mariner is happy being herself. She doesn't want any "quote unquote" growth. She doesn't want change. But here she she's watching, you know, essentially her best friend going through these changes and becoming something different, and it's bothering her. And in a lot of ways, the strength of Boimler's story is also kind of kind of nudging Mariner's story even further than when we thought where she could go. Yeah. And I, you're, I'm glad you caught that because it does feel like they're using his growth as a person, as an officer, they're using it to parallel 
what's happening with Mariner because sure from a personal level, when it comes to her mom, she's learned, but from a Starfleet side as an officer, she's, it's the same bag of tricks. It's, it's the same she's, bag of tricks. Still, she hasn't changed. Right. And if you remember that episode last season where she came face to face was one of her, with one of her former uh, classmates at the Academy and she was a captain and Mariner was embarrassed that she was still an ensign. Yep. And now, you know, I can see the direction they may be going with this because her friends all left her behind. She's still an ensign. All her friends that she went to the Academy with are all either captains or high ranking lieutenants. They have great positions or they're stationed at places that are ideal. And meanwhile, Mariner's on the lower decks because she doesn't like that responsibility. But at the same time, it seems like a, a part of it, a part of her might be or is bothered by the fact that possibly Boimler might be the next person that does in fact leave her behind because look how she acted with a Titan. Yeah. And it seems like she's afraid that he's getting more and more good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And eventually that he'll leave, he will leave. And, and in a lot of ways you, you gotta remember we started this whole series with Mariner who was the top dog. Mm-hmm. She was the alpha. She, she literally could do no wrong. She could, she could get out of jams and everything. And everybody else was lower than her. But suddenly the person that lower she, decks. <laughs> the so person bad. that, is has turned into her quote unquote her her best friend. Suddenly she's watching him suddenly go up into the ranks. He started at the bottom with her, but because he's putting his mind to it, and as strange as it sounds, Boimler started off very whiny and complainy from season one. And he's not like that now. And he's not like that now. Yeah, he's different. He's different because why he decided to take those steps forward. And that's why, I mean, the jig is going to be up eventually. And if I feel like that's the story they're going with when it comes to Mirror. She knows that Boimler is a go-getter. He has goals. She does not. And eventually, they are going to have to go their separate ways. Yeah, and, I, and that I, scares Mariner. Yeah, I have a feeling that's the direction they're taking. it, Like, for sure. Like, if we don't hear something to that effect in these next three episodes or even next season, I think that's a missed opportunity because it definitely seems that's Seems like that's the the road they're paving with everything they have given us so far. Now the end was funny as it satirized the common Star Trek evil computer yes. trope. Yeah, we saw Amagus. Is that the name? Yeah, Amag Amagus. 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 He was put into a holding. I, I guess you could say a cell with other supercomputers. Now I have to say I feel like they dropped the ball. Like, this is a show that's all about references, right? They're all about Star Trek references. And yet, I don't believe there was one actual supercomputer that we've seen in any other Star Trek series that was in prison with him. Yeah, but did you see, like, they did... They did the CBS symbol. They did the CBS symbol, which I'm like going... Are they calling themselves evil? Are they calling themselves (laughs) evil? Yeah, that's what I was like going... Well, oh, this is Mike McMahon. Oh, wait a second. It's Mike McMahon. Being no, Mike stop McMahon. it. You, stop it. He's not doing that on purpose. Although, <laughs> I don't know. You love controversy. I don't see I don't see it as controversial, Mike. I see it as great humor. <laughs> this is his way of being humor. Because just BBS from Star- is an evil supercomputer. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I'm sorry. You know, like ever since Star Trek Day, I'm like going, Mike McMahon has the big dick in the room and he doesn't care. I don't think he cares for a lot of reasons. Uh, he respects Star Trek. Yes. 
But at the same time, if people don't like him doing what he was hired to do, then he'll probably walk away and he'll, and he'll away. probably be just fine because he is, the, he was the showrunner of one of the best TV shows of the last decade, Rick and Morty. He's the showrunner also, or executive producer of another highly successful animation, Solar Opposites. It's not like he needs work. Yeah. So that, that tends to give people a little more confidence to do what they want to do oh, yeah. when you have other places to go. So. That's why, that's why, while you know, fans will make a big deal. Oh, he's making fun of his own bosses. Ooh. Yeah. I'm like, well, technically he can. And if he did, oh, well, yeah. what are they going to do? Fire him? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what he does in this show. He pokes fun. We said that. You know, of course, he's, he's in a, nothing's off limits. Nothing's he's, off he's limits. He's made fun of everything. So when it comes to the ending, though, I was a little disappointed that they didn't. And, and now if there's a Star Trek fan out there that believes they actually used one of the supercomputer trope characters. That's not how you say that. Uh, one of the characters we've seen before that's a supercomputer, like a, a sentient computer that we've seen in either the original series or TNG. Was there one in Voyager? No. No. I mean, how did you not have control in there somehow? Yeah, there was. Don't forget, there was control from Discovery. Yeah, I mean, there were so many things they could have done. And I'm surprised with a show that is all about references. I wonder if they just got lazy at the end. Ah, let's just, we're done, guys. Let's, let's call it a night. We're done. <laughs> we're done. But even, even like, say, a V'ger, a V'ger reference yeah. would have been cool. Yeah. Okay, so story B, or possibly story A, focused on Billups more than anything, uh, giving us some much-needed character development, because we don't, we know close to nothing when it comes to the, these bridge crews, um, the bridge crew of Lower Decks. Uh, Billups, as we learned, is apparently a virgin, and his culture dictates that he must remain a virgin, otherwise <laughs> he will become the king of his people. As you said, you would be king at age 12. Now... It, most of us, if someone were to say that's the edict of this this monarchy, I'd be like, um, "What's the problem with that? Like, why? Why? <laughs> you, I mean, just who wants to remain a virgin forever?" But, but Mike, don't you want to be like Starfleet and no. you know, like, listen, go out into the stars I, and explore? David, listen, goals only last so long. Love making lasts forever. <laughs> lasts forever. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes, he must become a virgin, and his mother, which kind of resembles, by the way, Luxwana, Luxwana Troy. Yes. And kind of acts like her, too. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, his mother is adamant about Billups taking his rightful place as king and creates an, an elaborate plan to get her son to have sexual relations. But the thing is, dude, this reminded me of Luxana Troy. It, it did. It, it absolutely did. How Coming many times with, did she get try to get Deanna to have sex with some person or she herself tried to have sex with multiple people? Oh, the times that she wanted to have sex with Picard? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, so uncomfortable. And, and it would be so awkward. It's so awkward. <laughs> but that was the beauty of that character. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially since she can invade Picard's mind yeah. and constantly oh, throw yeah. things at him through thought yeah. and i'm like going that's that's technically very squeaky i don't understand why everyone ran away from her because if i was picard's age at that time I'd be like okay you want to party but but mike you gotta remember starfleet uh, they're all prim and proper no but they're not <laughs> they're not they're not they like to pretend they are they want to pretend as as crazy as this setup sounds i swear this is 
just one virgin king away from being an actual episode of TNG or the oh, original easily. series. I yes. swear I've seen stuff like this. I can't put, I can't pinpoint the episode right now, but sexuality has always been a big part of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. The exploration of cultural differences when it comes to sexuality, uh, the progressive non-judgment or ju- judgmental ways, I should say, of Starfleet. The morality of Trek has never been viewed through a conservative lens. Well, do you remember even like the 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 episode of TNG when Luxana, Luxana had her uh, marriage and she showed up butt naked? Yeah. Because that's what apparently is a tradition. Yeah. <laughs> they're very... They're very liberal on the USS Enterprise back in the old days on TNG. It's, it's sexy. People are having sex. They're having relations. Same thing on Voyager. That's why when I look at the new era of Trek, I'm like, where's the sexiness at? <laughs> they had one. George o was sexy as hell, especially when she was evil. And what do they do? They got rid of her. No one wants to bang each other on, there's, on Discovery. There's, where, where's the sexuality in Star Trek now? Even, no, even I'm serious, David. Season one had sexuality. Because it was by other showrunners and based on who? Oh, no, that's right. Brian Fuller's Brian script. Fuller's script. But then, since then, it just feels like everyone's stuffy. Like, there's lovemaking. There's people who like each other. But where's the sexiness? Is there sexiness in Discovery? <sighs> there's no sexiness. There's no open Tilly. sexuality. Well, Tilly, Tilly's Tilly, sexy. Tilly's but... an attractive character. It doesn't mean the show is sexy. God, I want her, her to make her sexy. I, I know. Please. <laughs> go to the mirror universe. <laughs> I go to the mirror Anyways, I, I, I don't want to get off topic, but yes. this is my point was is that this is everything that Star Trek's always been. So yeah. for anyone that might get upset, I know there are people saying, wow, this, this episode kind of pushed it. You know, it's very mature content because and, of the sexuality. And what I, what I would like, tell them, like, this episode pushed it. Have you missed? Have you forgot the, what the Orions were the Orions in the original were. series? Come on. It started sexuality as well. There is numerous episodes that to this day are debated about potential wharf bisexuality yes. because of that character played by, oh, what's his name? The Rocketeer. His name eludes me. The guy that went around having sex with everyone on that ship. He started hitting on Worf and there was a moment where it looked like they were going to do it. They were going to get into some action. And to this day, that episode is debated, but I'm pretty sure they were trying to allude to Worf being open, open to it. Yeah. All right. So speaking of morality and ethical principles, what of the rights of a sentient machine? Why does the prime directive not apply? Now, I had an entire thing planned out that I was going to write, but, you know, for our show notes, for the purpose of this discussion. Okay. But as I was doing my research, I uncovered an article that did much of it for me. So I figured, why should I spend an hour writing it down? I'm going to cherry pick some points from this article taken from ingadget.com. And it's titled, What Rights Does an Evil Sentient Computer Have on Star Trek? So let's go through a few things. Now, artificial intelligence has been baked into the Star Trek universe since the original series. As we know, Kirk and his crew occasionally faced off against computers gone amok, including Nomad, yes. which I just recently rewatched that episode, Landrew, and Andrew's the big one, the M5. 
Uh, the only way to defeat these digital villains was to outwit them using logic, which caused them to self-destruct. Love it. Every single time I watch those episodes, I love it. Uh, but in the next generation, the franchise became more interested in exploring the personhood of artificial beings like Data and his family, Voyager's holographic doctor. Uh, this week, Lower Decks dredges up the old style megalomaniac AI and asks, are you really sure about those rights? So first off, there is, there is a debate here. There's a discussion. I feel that warrants like an hour. In my opinion, maybe I'll set something up for that down the road for our Patreon subscribers, but that is valid. Why isn't, or aren't these AIs, Given the same rights as any other species. Yeah. That's an interesting thought because they're bad. Why do we even stop a a magus? Amagus. Amagus. Like, why did they even interfere? Wouldn't the prime directive prevent them from interfering with the way uh, culture evolves? Because a magus was in charge for what? Over a hundred years. Yes. Is that what they said? Yeah. So, listen, I, this is a, sh- a cartoon. It's for fun. But this is an example that you can connect to other examples and other iterations of Star Trek. And when oh, yeah. you're talking about the prime directive and personhood, why do we only give personhood to a being like Data? Because he looks like us. He is made in our image. That's why such a such a simple scene as when Agamus looks at them and makes a comment and then all of a sudden the next thing you smash cut to them burying his head in the ground and he screams, wait, wait, I have rights. And I'm like going, actually, yeah, Agamus does have a point. <laughs> he, he is a sentient being. And why is it that basically the Federation seems to have like this weird thing about if you don't look human, humanoid let's change that not human but humanoid Mm -hmm. suddenly we're more open to breaking the prime directive and basically saying oh we're just trying to help you out pal (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. because the same the same thing it, it it brings into question like situations in the past like you mentioned a couple of the big ones from uh, the original series, mm-hmm. but you know, like there's that one episode I remember with uh, Moriarty is the hologram, the ship in a bottle. That one dealt with basically what is his rights? He's just a hologram. He's a program because he looks like a human. They gave him his, his, they gave him his own shit, his, his rights, his, his rights. They, gave, they allowed him to be free because of that. And that's what I'm saying. So does the prime directive or does Starfleet only view your personhood if you resemble a human? Now, the word I was looking for was anthropomorphic. That's the word we always use, which basically means human character, having human characteristics. We use this all the time when we talk about horror films. Yeah, Dave. So I I feel like that's a show we need to schedule and work on. I think it'd be a fun show, too, Yeah, because there's so many examples of the Federation kind of taking the prime directive and throwing it out. But when you take a step back, you say, well, wait a minute. If it's okay to interfere with the, this being, it's a sentient being. 
but it's a machine and it doesn't have any human features, but it's okay to interfere with it. Yeah. Yet it's not okay to interfere with, say, a humanoid species, like, say... Or even the holograms. The holograms, yeah. Well, let's say doctor, uh, the doctor in Voyager looked like... Let's say he was a talking cube and he was performing surgery with little holographic hands. Would they bestow personhood? Onto him. on Because he looked like a cube? I mean, that's an interesting discussion that we can dissect so i'm going to be setting that up for a patreon go and and just to add to that think about this regard too why is it okay that basically in the prime directive we can interview interfere we we are not uh, you see so many times when they interfere with a species like say saru's people right they interview they, they interfered and took saru from their species yeah kind of illegally but but do you remember why though yeah, because he was because specifically, he found them. He called he found them. them. Yeah, he called them. Yeah, and like, but if say say they got called by like some machine, would they treat it the same? Yeah, that's true. I mean, what about control? Why control? De- why defeat control and not let them live? <laughs> I mean, they were trying to destroy the world, so let's not go too far here with our with our. Freedoms, but let's just say, let's just say, if control wasn't actually out to destroy the world, they were say like they were like V'ger. Yeah, V'ger was the big one because I like that storyline. Even though that movie is very polarizing, the reason why I like that storyline is because it brought into question that the crew, of the Enterprise, essentially was interfering in a species' right to find a higher purpose. It wasn't trying to destroy anything. It was trying to find a higher purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I, I might have some of my terminology wrong because I'm just shooting from the hip right now. So you guys can fact check me if you want, but I feel like a lot of Star Trek is, is not as absolute as it may come off sometimes because of the prime director. No, it shouldn't. No society should be absolute when it comes to their morals and ethics in fact, I would say Star Trek probably aligns more with something called moral objectivism. Moral objectivism is basically not falling into the pitfalls of subjective morals because yes. subjective morals never works for anyone. Because let's say, David, you believe in murdering people and in your world, murdering people is is A-OK. So why would we then respect your morals when you're murdering people? So that's why subjective morality our subjectivism isn't great and that's why the one of the better and this is debated within philosophical circles the better choice is moral objectivism because you find one or two one or two items that most of the world let's speak in our terms here can agree on which is hey you don't torture babies for fun yes most of the world would agree that that's wrong you don't murder innocent people. Most of the world would agree on those terms. And if you use those as your guiding principles, you now have what's called a, a moral objective society. And I feel like that's what Star Trek is because when things contradict your standing codes, there's room within objectivism to supersede one of your bylaws if you will yeah a really great example actually of this is kind of like you brought it up off air because we were talking about enterprise that 
episode in Enterprise where they ran into the species where they ran into the species that was culturally they believed in a three marital system where you had basically Enterprise, the, the, yeah, uh, the husband and wife, but that you had a breeder, yeah. That I think they were they were a third gender. Yeah, they were yeah. a third gender, and and they were considered a subspecies. That is basically a really good example of like Star Trek of the Federation interfering in something that they probably should not inv- interfere they with. Definitely should have, yeah. Just because what we see as morally bad, you know, a person being used solely as a sex object and breeding object but to put to another species that's just normal life yeah. it's okay that it, and to the point where that third person doesn't mind right now if it changes that's where you then can bend the prime directive exactly or even you know you can bend your own moral subjective objectivism because let's say this third gender decides i've had enough and we're going to rally and protest and we're going to ask for asylum and assistance from the Federation, then suddenly the Federation can throw out the prime directive and say, okay, okay, we can get involved because there's uh, essentially that, that, that people is seeking asylum at that point. I know we're going on a tangent here, but I think it's relevant to this episode to some degree. That's why I'm a strong believer, even in real life. When it comes to the prime directive, I believe in the prime directive. It's a solid yes. set of rules. There are things, some things in there that, eh, you know, you see a world getting ready to blow up and you're like, oh, prime director says we can't interfere. This is their natural course. <laughs> That's a little fucked up. That's a little fucked up. <laughs> but again, bigger picture. You don't know. What if you save these people and you relocate them, let's say, to another planet and then you destroy that planet's ecosystem? Yeah. That's why the prime directive is important sometimes because there's always going to be a give take. Oh, yeah. There's always a cause and effect. Or even if you think about it, go back into going, uh, tying it into this episode. You can even take story B and basically say, this is why the prime directive is there. Yeah. Because remember, it's not. You mean, you mean someone should interfere and let villains yeah. have sex? <laughs> this is just Bill's, wrong. He should have sex and not be a king. But did you notice that when Captain Freeman, when it was brought up to her, she didn't interfere. Uh, yeah. She said, okay, yep. Billups, I know it's your that. choice. Yeah. We can't do anything, but you can, you, you get the sense that basically <laughs> letting someone give up their virginity <laughs> doesn't sound too moralistically good. Your virginity you know? is very special. Your virginity is very special. I know. <laughs> Mine is. That's why I still hold on to it. So stupid. All right. Let's wrap this show up. Uh, why don't you give me, uh, just give me your score. I know your final thoughts. What is your RMD score and anything you want to note quickly before we go? Uh, one last thing to talk about is I love the progression of all the characters. I love Rutherford's progression and, and it wasn't even his doing. It was basically putting Rutherford with Billups. Yeah. And you know, the whole story that we had in the last episode between Rutherford and Tindy continues on because now Tindy is having to deal with the fact that, oh, there might be a time when Rutherford's not with her anymore. Right. And she has to deal with that. She has to deal with what? Same thing as Mariner. Change. She has to, de- she has to come to terms with that. So I enjoyed that. So my score overall for this episode, I have this as a 90, uh, 92. 
I really liked this episode. This had me giggling all the time. And, you know, it gets that extra 2% solely because of Jeffrey Combs. That's not how we review things in this network, David. I'm going to go over there and smack you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give this episode a 90%. It was fun. It was enjoyable. It was clever. What more could be said? All right. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to remind people, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Digital. Pledge to our Patreon page. And what I mean by pledge is subscribe. If you subscribe to our $5 podcast here, you'll gain access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours of additional Star Trek discussions that we've done throughout the years. Um, Some pretty good ones that I'm actually kind of proud of. We also have our pre-shows there as well. We do a pre-show pretty much before any Star Trek discussion, and we kind of get the the poison out. We get uh, all the anxiety out before we go live, and we talk about rando Star Trek stuff. Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's 30 minutes, like the one that's coming out this week as we get into a, a tear on topic. So yep. patreon.com slash Rayman digital. It helps us stay on the air and it helps you as well. And don't forget iTunes. Please give us a rating five star, preferably. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.